Hey, everybody. Uh, thank you for being here. This is such a different view, but I love it. Um, let's start out with prayer because we all need it. I need it. Um, so let's go ahead to God. Lord, thank you for this morning together. Thank you for your word that is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. And it's piercing between bone and marrow that you... You cut through the thoughts and intentions of our heart. You show us your truth in a world full of, of uh, complications, of lies, of mixed messages. Everybody having their own truth. We know that you are the one and only truth and the one that we are to live in communion with. So I pray that as we go through these next few minutes, you'd speak to us that your word would uh, reveal itself to us, that you would show us more about you and, uh, and about us and how um, you are our hope. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Well, thank you guys for being here. Um, still finding my spot up here, how this is going to actually work out, so bear with me. But uh, if you have been here, but maybe we're sleeping the last couple of sermons. I'm going to give you a quick recap. If you're new, you're in good company. So um, we are in the book of Joshua. We're a Bible-believing church, so we go through chapter by chapter. Um, It's great that we had some pieces of the New Testament. We're going to be in the Old Testament for a while, uh, but it's exciting. Don't worry. And uh, in Joshua, to get you kind of caught up, you know, season uh, recap from where we've been, We have God from the get-go making promises to people, fallen, broken people, from the Garden of Eden all the way through. And we see him start to make these promises. You see it with Abraham and then his son Isaac, and that promise carrying on to Jacob, who's then renamed Israel. And we see God's faithfulness to these people that are really messed up. They're just people, right? They've got some good things, they've got some bad things, but he's working through them. And he, he takes it to, to Jacob, renames him Israel, and he has 12 sons. One of those is probably the most famous, Joseph, right? And uh, Joseph gets sent off to Egypt, but then becomes one of the key rulers there and ends up being the deliverance for his other brothers during the famine. So now we have Israel, his kids, living in Egypt, and a good pharaoh at the time saying, take the best of the land. They take the land of Goshen. And so that's where now they set up and years go by and they grow and multiply and God blesses them and they become what is now the people of Israel and the 12 tribes of Israel. But as we all probably are familiar with, things were not good. They were in captivity and slavery to the Egyptians because they grew too too powerful. So then the Egyptians started tightening down on them. But God sent someone. He sent Moses, kind of an unlikely uh, deliverer for them. And, and we, we know that as he's brought out the people of Egypt, out of Egypt, they run into the Red Sea. A massive, impossible task to cross as a whole nation of people. But yet, God is faithful, and he makes a way when there was no way. And he parts the Red Sea, and they are able to walk on dry ground, and the, the Egyptians that were following behind get washed away. Now they're in the desert, 40 years of wandering, unfaithfulness, rebellion, complaining, 
losing sight of this God that has just delivered them. And so they're wandering around. Even Moses himself fails. Like I said, all these guys and all these women, everybody that we see in Scripture is broken. But God still is faithful, and he says, okay, I'm going to raise up a new leader, and that is Joshua, where we are now. And from the last few uh, sermons that we've seen, chapter 1 through 3, he's getting them closer to the promised land where he said, hey, I'm going to give you this land. I'm going to make you a nation. You are going to then be a blessing to the rest of the world. That's from back in Abraham all the way through. But now they reach another impasse, and that is the Jordan River. Rushing river, probably 100 yards wide, you know, about 10 feet deep, not something that you can bring your family across, all the, the cattle, all the things that, that you have. It's not like they just had a ferry they could jump on and go across. So they, they're there again at this big challenge, 40 years later. But from what we saw in the last, last Sunday, God delivers again. So picture yourself on the shores of the Jordan, what is really now the first time in the Bible, it shows them in the last verse of uh, chapter 3, he's actually calling Israel a nation. It's not just a people or a wandering group or whatever. It's an actual nation of people. So lots of people on the edge of the, of the riverbank. So just close your eyes, picture it with me. We're there. They've been camping out for three days. They're looking at how they're going to get across this thing. I'm sure there's a myriad of different feelings. You may be thinking, oh, you've got to be kidding me. God brought us through the desert for 40 years, so now we can be stuck here. On the other side, who knows what, enemy territories and things that we're not even sure how we're going to make it through. But with them is an amazing piece of symbolism and importance, the Ark of the Covenant. So with the people of God, there's the Ark of the Covenant, which is this beautifully ornate Um, constructed box that God directed himself the construction of. Inside, we have the law that was given to Moses, the tablets, the Ten Commandments, they're put in there. But this is a holy uh, object, not because of the object, because God was showing that his presence was with his people. And that was the whole importance of the Ark of the Covenant. So Usually that's carried by the, the Levite group, so just history there. Um, out of one of those 12 tribes, the Levites are usually carrying that ark. But it's just somebody in there. It's not necessarily the highest people. But right now, Joshua makes a decision. He says, okay, through God's direction, let's have the priests pick this up now. And let's have the priests with the Ark of the Covenant, our most valuable possession, take the first steps into this rushing river and everybody behind. And as they take that first step from what we heard last week, the waters that would have been overflowing because of the time of year, they spread out, stack up, and the ground miraculously dries. You can imagine a riverbed doesn't dry in a moment, you know. But this dries, and they keep taking those steps and steps and steps. And so picture yourself. We're in this, this group of people and seeing God's presence before us going in the middle of this rushing river. And we then start to follow. 
the, the ark stays in the middle of the river. It doesn't go to the other side. Everybody else starts walking beside it. And you're just picturing this. Walls of water, and you're wondering, like, is this going to give out, like, right as I walk by? Or, you know, am I going to be the unlucky guy? But you're then seeing this ark as you're passing by and realizing this is real. The God of our forefathers is with us, and he is powerful. And this is not a box that you just, like, slap in and be like, oh, yeah, cool. Like, this is one of those things that you wouldn't touch it because you would die because the holiness of God is there in your presence. So this reverence, this awe, this magnificent moment as they're crossing through, which brings us now to where we are in Joshua chapter 4. So if you have it, turn with me. In fact, I didn't ask anybody to put it there, so you're just going to have to trust me, I guess. All right, chapter 4. When all the nation had finished passing over the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, Take twelve men from the people, each tribe a man, and command them, saying, Take twelve stones from here out of the midst of the Jordan, from the very place where the priest's feet stood firmly, and bring them over with you, and lay them down in the place where you lodge tonight. Then Joshua called the twelve men from the people of Israel, whom he had appointed, a man from each tribe. And Joshua said to them, Pass on before the ark of the Lord your God into the midst of the Jordan, and take up each of you a stone upon his shoulder, according to the number of the tribes of the people of Israel, that this may be a sign among you. When your children ask in times to come, what do these stones mean to you? Then you shall tell them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord. When it passed over the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. So these stones shall be to the people of Israel a memorial forever. What is a memorial? So we could probably all picture different things when I say that word. Maybe you picture, you know, point of point, the, the little statue memorial, right? Um, I picture being on the banks of Normandy and seeing seas of white crosses in every direction. It's an overwhelming feeling. But a memorial, the whole point of that is for us to have some sort of symbol, some sort of physical representation that we can then remember. It's all about remembering something that's so important you can't afford to forget about it. So this is what God is instructing them to set up. And in fact, this is not the first time. This is the first time that we see a pillar of rocks in this way. But before, with the Red Sea, there's actually an example there. They come through and he says, hey, we're going to have this feast. You have to keep it forever because you guys keep forgetting about me. <laughs> and so he sets this pattern for them. Remember, and he says the same thing back then. When your kids ask you, why are we having this feast? Tell them the story about how I saved you from uh, Egypt and brought you through. So this is something that we see. Think about the Psalms. There are worship songs for the nation of Israel. That's how it started out, right? So it, this is reflected all throughout. A couple of examples. Uh, come and see what the God has done. He's awesome in his deeds towards the children of man. He turned the sea to dry land. They passed through the river on foot there did we rejoice in him, who rules by his might forever, whose eyes keep watch on the nations. Let not the rebellious exalt themselves. So that's Psalm 66. We see it again in 114. 
When Israel came out of Egypt, the house of Jacob from a people of a strange language, and the sea looked and fled, Jordan turned back, the mountains skipped like rams and the hills like lambs. And this part is like almost like a joke in the way it's written. What ails you, O sea, that you flee? O Jordan, that you turn back, almost mocking it. O mountains, that you skip like rams. O hills, like lambs. Tremble, O earth, at the presence of the Lord, at the presence of the God of Jacob, who turns the rock into a pool of water, the flint into a spring of water. This is going to be interesting. Um, So we see this throughout... Uh, the Psalms, that this stuck with the people. And they say, like, we got to write this down. We got to have these things so we can memorialize it and remember it. So where, where does this bring us? So as we think of the ark going through, I want you now to, to bring us to today. They had God with them in their midst going through this very troubling, challenging time. But there is another, one that was promised from of old. We stood, and, and maybe some of you still do stand on this bank of a river, with God's promise on the other side of redemption and hope and joy. Praise God. Um, and uh, we're on that bank with an impossible river to cross. The river of our sin, our separation from God, our sinful state that all of us have either been in or still are in. But unlike Israel with these somewhat deliverers like Moses and Joshua, we have the perfect deliverer. That is Jesus Christ. The Israelites could not get into that river and just hold it up, and like, okay, you guys hold that spot, I'll hold this spot, you guys get through. Of course that wouldn't work, right? In the same exact way, do you think we can cross that river alone? No. No, there is no way. But oftentimes people try, and we do, and we forget, and we go back saying, okay, I can do this on my own. I, I can save myself. I got this. I'm not so bad. Like, look at that other guy. If we turn our salvation, our sinful nature, we think, okay, we can clean ourselves up. We can do better, you know, and, and, and get to a better state later. We'll be fine. As soon as we tar- start turning inward, like the great preacher Alistair Begg would say, we turn to abject despair on one side or a horrible kind of arrogance on the other. When we look to ourselves for salvation— Think of the Pharisees and that horrible or arrogance of like, oh, yes, look at all the laws that we can follow. We're good enough. God will bless us. No. Jesus is the only, the better Moses, the better Joshua, the servant leader who mediates between God and his people, the one who stops the rushing waters from overtaking us and overwhelming us and brings us to the promise of God. He has gone before us in the deep waters. And he calls us, just like that Ark of the Covenant, he calls us to have faith and walk behind him. He's gone ahead. He's not calling you to just step out into the void. No, he's gone all the way to the cross to take our sin, our shame, our nakedness, our rebellion, all the things that we deserve. He took on himself as the perfect man, perfect God together, 
sacrificing everything for us. And he calls us through that river. He is the one who makes a way where there is no way. The glory in this whole scenario then only goes to God, which is the same thing back then. We see at the end of Joshua 4, the reason why he did this. Should have kept it open. The reason why he delivered his people, he says here at the end, For the Lord dried up the Red Sea as we passed over, so that all the people of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty, that you may fear the Lord your God forever. So he saved them because his glory is the most important thing. Which, side note here, when you think, well, God cares the most about his glory, how does that work? You know, that seems selfish. Well, if you realize that God's glory is the utmost thing in the universe, that he is perfection, beauty, love, justice, kindness, patience, self-control, all of those amazing qualities and characteristics to the nth degree, you realize that worshiping anything else is a disservice for all of us. So as we take that, that place ourselves in that, and we start becoming the, the center of our universe, is actually worse for us. So out of love for us, he calls us to worship him and points us to his glory. In Psalm 106, we see this. Both we and our fathers have sinned. We have committed iniquity. We have done wickedness. Our fathers, when they were in Egypt, did not consider your wondrous works. They did not remember the abundance of your steadfast love, but rebelled by the sea at the Red Sea. Yet, yet, he saved them for his name's sake, that he might make known his mighty power. He rebuked the Red Sea and became dry, and he led them through the deep as through a desert. So he saved them from the hand of the foe and redeemed them from the power of the enemy. And the waters covered their adversaries. Not one of them was left. Then they believed his words. They sang his praise. Matthew Henry uh, from the 16th century, he says, God has the same power to finish the salvation of his people that he had to begin it. And we see this throughout scripture. This power of God to start, to set these promises, he's not going to leave it there. And he didn't leave the Israelites there, and he brought them through. In the same way, if you're here and you do believe in Christ, but you're like, man, I, my life is still a mess. That's okay. Because the good work that he began in you, he will bring to completion. So we can trust in his power. And God, Emmanuel, is still with us. Because for those that believed in Christ, we have the Holy Spirit in us, always with us. So let me go to a couple of gospel truths for us, and then some application, okay? From this text, we see God is committed to his glory. God shows his might to make a statement to the nations. God is not just for Israel. In fact, the new Israel is the church, this here, our body. We have people from Europe all the way to outer islands, everything in between. God is calling the nations. God's paths, past faithfulness is the solid ground beneath our feet. God's past faithfulness, both in Scripture and in your life, is solid ground beneath your feet. God is mighty to save and will accomplish his redemption of his people. 
So as we go with those four truths, let's look at some application. Back to the idea of this memorial, of what he was calling them to do. Why need a memorial? Because we are a forgetful people. I forget things all the time. Let's be honest. If I didn't write down the things that I needed to do every moment of the day, I would just be like, wait, what's happening? Coe's got a dirty diaper. I got to run over here. We are forgetful. I am chief of those. But we're forgetful of things that are so incredibly important, like what God has done, even in our own life. When we're faced with the next challenge, we're like, oh my gosh, what are we going to do? And you throw your hands up, right? We saw this with Israel time and time again. But what happens when we do forget about God's faithfulness? We take his provisions for granted and just expect it. We start to become kind of complacent in our Christian life. We complain a lot. I do this as well. And we start seeking our own joy apart from God. So as we think of being a memorial, bringing us back to remembering God, he's actually given us memorials for us now. We may not have a pile of 12 stones, as much as I wanted to kind of do that with this repaving, but um, <clears throat> we have things that he's given us in his word. Gathering together with believers, what we're doing right here, right now. In fact, in the New Testament, it says, make sure you continue to gather, unlike the habit of some, because here we're worshiping together and reminding each other of the gospel. Keeping the word on our hearts and mind regularly. Observing the Lord's Supper and baptism. These are symbols for memorializing what God has done for us and what he is doing with us even now. And then telling stories of God's faithfulness to the next generation. Like, parents, hear me. Your faith is not going to be your kids' faith. There's no grandkids of the faith. They have to believe for themselves. And what better way for them than for you to tell them I used to struggle with this, but look at where God has brought me. Or we went through this really hard time, but God pulled us through. Or we're now going through a difficult time, but let's remember how he provided for us already. I, you know, I thought of this little example of we were in Florida years ago, my wife and I praying, you know, about our kids because we felt like they got no friends, like the community was kind of just feeling disjointed. And uh, we were homeschooling, so, you know, just, we felt isolated. And we were praying, God, please give, like, good, sweet friendships to our kids. Like, it makes such a difference. <laughs> and then we wake up, and we're here on the North Shore, uh, you know, half a world away, with that prayer beautifully answered with sweet grandmother that lives, with, you know, in our thing. Our Auntie Ruth is, like, part of our family. We have friends in this church and the community with 70 families that have homeschooled kids, we can't get enough of friendship now. It's all over the place. But how, how cool to see God's faithfulness to us in, uh, in just even that small way. But as then we face more trials uh, to come, whether it's a move or people leave, we can remember, wait, God provided for us before. He's going to do it again. So tell those stories to your kids. Tell those stories to each other. Tell your testimony of how he saved you from your sin because that is the power of God to save here and to the ends of the earth. So I'll close us with uh, a passage from Isaiah 43. But now thus says the Lord, he who created you, O Jacob, 
He who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. And thus says the Lord who makes a way in the sea, a path in the mighty waters. I am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will remember your sins no more. Let's pray. Lord, your word is so rich. We thank you so much for the immense blessing that you have given us here. We think of the faithfulness, not only that we see in Scripture, and, and, and just the, the incredible love that you've shown us sinners to reconcile us to you through Jesus. But we also think of, of here and now faithfulness that we see. Just we, we don't want to take for granted where we're standing right now or sitting. One point was tall grass, six feet high. With somebody stumbling in for the first time, you're like, oh, well, it's okay. But no, we don't take it for granted. We see your faithfulness step by step, bringing this place to where it is now. And we just treasure this moment, Lord. We pray that you would grow this church to be vibrant in affecting our community that many lives would be radically changed for your sake, for your glory, that more and more would come to know you. We trust in the power that you have, the power that can stop a river, a power that can stop a sea. That same power can give us strength against sin. I pray here for this this group of people that I love, that you would break any sin in their lives, any chains holding them. Now, like we read in Hebrews, that we would be able to throw off these heavy weights of sin and run this race with endurance for the prize that is set before us, that we will cross this river, that we will find ourselves on the other side in rest and peace with you an eternity of joy in fellowship with no more tears, no more brokenness, no more ripped apart families. Lord, help us. We need you. Thank you for being a faithful God and a good God. I pray for those here that don't believe that you did any of those things and don't believe that you can fix them or redeem their lives or bring them in right communion with you. I pray that they would see the beauty that you are, what a great and loving God you are, that they would feel called to you and know that you are more than able and more than willing. We love you, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.